0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: In the 19th century, there was a view of history called the Whiggish view of history. And the idea behind it was that the story of history was towards constant enlightenment, uh, against uh, authoritarianism, towards ever greater freedom. Now, that view of history should have been discredited by the events of the 20th century, but it often persists. And there are striking examples of why that's wrong, and one of them is what's currently happening to LGBTQ people in Britain. Because for a long time, the narrative was that LGBTQ people, having suffered huge amounts of persecution, bigotry and discrimination, uh, suddenly, because of changes to the law and so on, had legal emancipation and were heading towards a society in which they would be accepted for who they are. In the last few years, an anti-trans moral panic, which has increasingly gripped the British media and large swathes of the political elite, underlines just how precarious those rights or that supposed image of ever greater freedom for LGBTQ people has become. An anti-moral panic deliberately whipped up by almost the entire British media targeting one of the most marginalized minorities in the country. Now, Stonewall is Britain's main LGBTQ civil rights organization. It's the oldest LGBTQ charity in Europe. And it was set up In order to fight for the rights of LGBTQ people, whether it be changing the law to ensure a legal framework that supports rather than discriminating against LGBTQ people, to make institutions LGBTQ friendly, given the level of systemic discrimination LGBTQ people face at work, to defend LGBTQ refugees deported to countries in which their very existence is illegal, to fight the bullying of young LGBTQ people in schools, that bullying which has devastating lifelong consequences, for LGBTQ people with the mental distress that they will suffer for the rest of their lives. This work is absolutely instrumental to the lives of LGBTQ people in Britain. And yet at a time when anti-gay hate crimes have trebled in the last few years and anti-trans hate crimes have quadrupled, the main LGBTQ civil rights movement is now under a systematic and wide ranging attack from all corners of the British media And much of the British establishment being vilified as an as an extremist organization with which is somehow uh, a fifth column within institutions having a devastating impact uh, with a pernicious influence that needs to be rolled back now. The anti-trans moral panic, as I've said, is something which has gripped this country for the last few years, but is escalating in a frightening way. The reality of trans people's existence airbrushed out of existence, whether it be the one in eight trans employees who are physically attacked by a colleague or customer within a space of 12 months. The half of trans people who hide their identity for fear of discrimination, the quarter of trans people who've suffered homelessness, the two in five trans people and the three in 10 non-binary people who suffered a hate crime or incident because of their gender identity within a 12-month period, those uh, one in four trans people who've attempted to take their own lives, nine in 10 who thought about it, uh, whether it be the 65% within uh, a, a year uh, who report being discriminated against or harassed because of have been perceived as trans, uh, whether it be the waiting lists, the hospital waiting, the NHS waiting list that trans people are stuck on for years against a narrative based entirely on lies, which suggests young people are being deliberately uh, transed, uh, um because they're gender non-conforming. All of these realities are airbrushed out of existence and instead, trans people are portrayed just as gay people were long portrayed as threats to children, uh, as defying uh, the laws of biology, uh, for being predators, brainwashing kids and so on. Uh, whether it be uh, that, you know, why should the majority have to change this tiny minority portrayed as being mental deviants, be portrayed as being a fetish, all of the same talking points which were used against gay people, the same tunes now being sung, not just by self-described right-wingers, but by people who call themselves liberal and indeed left-wing. And the consequences of this for trans people is utterly devastating. So that's why we're talking about the attack on Stonewall today, because it is the main LGBTQ civil rights organization seen as entirely mainstream for so many years and now beyond the pale. And what is the impact of that? What is the actual truth about what Stonewall does what's the reality now facing particularly trans people uh, is this also is and, and it must be said is the focus on trans people that has to be emphasized but is it ricocheting and now risking lgbtq people more generally we've got two brilliant guests to talk about that before i bring them in uh just again housekeeping as ever for those who are supporting us you make all of this possible the documentaries we're doing like at tory conference at labor conference the documentary we've got coming up about wealth and power in Britain, huge amounts of time, resources and money, but you make it possible for our team on Union Wages. Support us on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84 and we'll do far more of those documentaries. We've got loads of interviews and shows which you make possible as well. With that said and done, I'm now going to bring in our first absolutely fantastic guest, uh, who is Juno Dawson. Let's bring in Juno. One second. Here we go. Juno, it's a big, big honour to have you here.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: How are you? I'm all right I'm all right it's always good to have a fellow northerner oh
0: yeah you're right you're right although I live in Brighton (laughs) now so it's I'm an honorary southerner I think but
1: well I'm now a plastic northerner having sold out my my northern credentials now do for those who don't know is a brilliant author but just so many hats which we could just quickly go through so for example which are particularly relevant but do by the way buy uh um, in fact, stay another day is coming, has come out oh, this week.
0: So this week, release week. Yeah, thank you. Uh
1: so there's a brilliant, brilliant book. Every uh, Juno is a really commended and brilliantly reviewed author. So do a screenwriter, acts as well, does a podcast, columnist the attitude, role model, uh for Stonewall. So many, many things. Juno, just to begin with, just for those who most people watching will be cis and for those who don't know what that means it means your gender identity aligns with that assigned at birth so they won't understand at all they can try to understand but they won't ever none of us will fully understand what it's like being trans at a time like this do you just tell us as a trans person what it's like your existence being debated every day trans people almost entirely spoken about negatively what impact does that have on on trans people at the moment
0: yeah and i mean i'll preface that by saying that I'm among the most privileged trans people in the United Kingdom in that I'm a hermana and I have a really stable career and I'm married. And I find the discourse really anxiety-making. And of course, bear in mind that trans people are also dealing with climate change and the pandemic and crazy petrol shortages and everything else that happens to cis people. Trans people are dealing with those things plus transphobia. And I think the only way I can really describe it is just at the moment a constant dread and a real sense of what will each day bring and a sense of just being very maligned and misrepresented and just very misunderstood um and it's endlessly frustrating but you know like I've said I'm not dealing with homelessness I'm not dealing with a three or four year wait list because I started my treatment in like 2015 so it's kind of you know, it's it's really worrying, and if I'm worried, then how do harmless trans people or trans people with HIV, you know, how do those people feel right now? And and I just I dread to think it's a deeply unpleasant time. And like you said, it's very reminiscent of the '90s. You know, I'm deceptively elderly. And I remember working in a fish and chip shop and back in the days when you still used to wrap fish and chips in newspaper. And, you know, each day I would go to the fish and chip shop after school and I would see some salacious story about George Michael being arrested in a toilet or gay men with HIV and AIDS. And, and the straight boss who I was working for making these horrific comments about, you know, why don't we just send all gay men to live on an island? You know, kind of, and it feels like the same thing. And it feels like, there's no one really out there defending us or sticking up for us, except for organizations like Stonewall. And then they get attacked for it.
1: So you're a Stonewall schools role model amongst you many different hats. So just uh-huh. tell us about that and what that has, what you've learned about Stonewall's work through doing that.
0: So, yeah, Stonewall first came to me, I think, in 2013. One of my books, This Book is Gay, was doing really well in schools and particularly in school libraries. And, and I met a guy called Wayne who used to work for Stonewall, and he was like, we have this scheme whereby we send successful LGBTQ people into schools. At the time, I hadn't come out as trans yet widely, although a lot of my friends knew what was about to happen. And, and I was delighted to because, you know, I, I looked up to Stonewall for the work they had done in the past around same-sex marriage around the repeal of section 28 and I saw them as being a force for good and and if I could you know use the success of my books to help young LGBTQ people and that would be a good thing and of course I went to school during section 28 and in fact my Section 28 came into law the year I started primary school and it was repealed the year I graduated college. So literally my entire education was the Section 28 years. And the idea that someone, an author or a sports person or a TV presenter or a singer could go into a high school and talk about their career and talk about their sexuality or gender kind of blew my mind because that would have been illegal while I was at school. And so I was really excited to get my little red T-shirt and go into some high schools. And they were very, very clear that, you know, again, moral panic, you know, this is not a recruitment drive. You know, we didn't leave a sign-up sheet. We weren't gaying kids or trans in kids. It really was just going to that school, talk about your childhood, Talk about your time at school and then talk about how successful you've been, you know, really emphasize. And this was given to all of us, whether you were a swimmer or a runner or an author, Go into school and just explain to those kids that being from the LGBT community didn't hold you back. You were still able to achieve great success in your field regardless of your gender or sexuality and indeed because of your gender and sexuality because the the bullying i got as a kid really lit a fire under my ass you know it really gave me something to prove to the universe that i could be just as successful as a stray or a cis person and so that's what i do you know i haven't done it for ages i'm a terrible role model i because i've just been so busy so i've not done a stonewall visit for a while and a lot of that's tied into the pandemic as well but you know up until the pandemic i was still putting on my red t-shirt and going into schools and just saying I'm Juno Dawson, I'm transgender, I'm one of the best-selling YA authors in the country and also I'm trans. Um, You know, and the the way I see it, a hundred percent of the kids in that hall, you know, they're either LGBTQ themselves or they are straight cis people who live with LGBTQ people in this country. And they, I hope went away from those talks with a bit more compassion and understanding.
1: Now um, we're going to talk later with Jasmine Anderson uh from the iPaper about the specifics of the of Stonewall and the Onslaught. But let's talk about these so-called gender critical groups. And for those who don't know that term, gender critical basically tries to give a respectable veneer to those a kind of respectable ideological worldview to those who have been radicalized by anti-trans rights talking points but there are many groups the most prominent now has become the so-called lgb alliance which is as the name suggests intentionally trans exclusionary it's there to remove the t from uh, the lgbtq community and to try and drive a wedge at the heart of it obviously not representative of actual lesbian gay and bisexual people and indeed is generally signal boosted and given a voice by straight people who oppose uh, who are who are not our friends or friends of any LGBTq people do you want to tell us about the kind of direction they're going in and how you know we're talking about Stonewall specifically but we've also seen uh, mermaids being targeted which supports trans children young trans people uh, the Tavistock clinic uh which uh, is a gender identity clinic for younger people which which recently they lost a court case um Against them, based on providing gender affirming support for young trans people, so you just want to tell us about that and that kind of the that general campaign.
0: Hmm. I think I mean it's the way I see it. I'm, I'm not, you know, part of those groups, obviously, but it it feels to me that you know having watched this unfold now for the last six years or so, I th- I think there is a pattern emerging, and I think really what it boils down to is these groups who often we know they're supported by right-wing organisations, including church groups from America. They're well-funded groups. They definitely, I think, have an agenda, a a very far-right or Christian-right agenda. And I think you can't stop people being trans. You know, you can't, in the same way that you can't stop people being gay or lesbian, it's who we are. You know, but what you can do is you can cut off resources and so i think that's what we're seeing you know you can't magically erase any lgbtq person but what you can do is you can go after the organizations that support us and so that is groups like mermaids Stonewall, and gendered intelligence um and 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 of course the tavistock case as well you know attacking our health care which i found to be particularly um sinister um and and i think you know particularly the the the, a lot of the recent conversations around stonewall in the press have been about something they run called the stonewall diversity champions which is their workplace initiative so the i'm a stonewall school role model their parallel um, program is the diversity champions and that is where organizations and companies pay basically for training from Stonewall to make workplaces more inclusive and more comfortable for all LGBTQ people. And essentially this is a service that organizations pay for. So by particularly undermining the diversity champions, what we're really looking at is defunding. What these groups are calling for is a defunding of Stonewall and taking, cutting it off at the root and taking away some of their resources. Um, so I mean, while I'm here, I mean I think now now is a lovely day to donate to Stonewall if you have the financial means to do so, and of course they they come, they always take donations because they're a charity, and but I, I really think that's what this is about, and I think what they've done is they've created a panic, uh, and it is a moral panic, and so I think some organisations are just having a wobble because they're reading these stories and obviously the, the one this week was the BBC but a few weeks ago it was Ofcom and so I think hilariously Stonewall are doing what they've always done since their inception in the late 80s you know they they um nothing has changed and particularly the story about the BBC this week the headline could have been Stonewall still doing what it has always done but for some reason this week it, it became news and that's because of I, I think the the sort of the discourse environment around trans people because no media outlet really can run a story that says you know we should stop trans people <laughs> and so and so this is this is the way they have that story without having that story i think by attacking the organizations that that provide support to the trans people who need it most so those homeless trans people ill trans people and and very poor trans people
1: Um, I mentioned the LGB Alliance so-called and I think it's interesting that every minority as well as women who are majority are aware historically of attempts to take to to provide a platform for some of their own who are completely unrepresentative. Uh, So for example back in the 1970s uh, the campaign against the Equal Rights Amendment to give women formal equality in the US Constitution that was led by Phyllis Starkey who tried to present it as actually she speaks for women and women didn't want these rights uh we've seen recently the government's racism report which whitewashed british racism that again what they did is they handpicked people uh who are black who weren't speaking or representative of the of of the black british experience and then said well actually yes we are listening to these voices and of course the lgb alliance is another example of that it's people who are Mm. um Although, actually, as I said, a lot of people who who are the most um, prominent cheerleaders are straight. But they've said, uh, in response to a letter from uh, uh, the Labour Equalities Minister condemning them, um, they said, are we saying that all the LGBTQ groups around the country are essentially now homophobic? That is precisely what we are saying. So the LGBT Alliance is saying Stonewall and other organisations are homophobic. What is this telling us? about their this whole direction because I mean my Twitter timeline now is full of people. Before it'd be like you're a misogynist for supporting trans rights, but now it's like you're a homophobe. You're a homophobic person. For someone like myself, obviously, like a lot of gay people who suffered hate crimes from actual homophobes. Interesting experience. But what 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 do you make of all of that?
0: Well Stonewall is run by largely gay people. There are very few trans people working at Stonewall. The last two um sort of bosses at Stonewall have been lesbians, Ruth Ruth Hunt and Nancy Kelly, who, who have been so amazing in the face of incredible hatred and slurs. Oh, just the way they've been treated is horrific. And I fully respect them for standing as firm as they have because people forget Stonewall only kind of took up the trans cause in 2015. And that was while Ruth Hunt was in charge. And there were people, some who had been with Stonewall for a long time, they were resistant, I think, to, to taking up the cause of trans people. Worrying, I think, unfoundedly, that it would be the detriment to lesbian, gay and bisexual rights. And I don't think that's true for one reason, because some trans people are also lesbian or gay or bi, so our cause is the same cause, but also, the, the irony and the sadness, the real sadness about this whole situation is that most of the work Stonewall do is in supporting lesbian, gay and bi people because there are more lesbians, gay and bi people in the country. So the vast majority of the work they do is about homeless gay youth, um, you know, runaways, unemployment, making sure that teachers in local authorities are safe to be out in schools without being abused. You know which is when i was a teacher back in the early noughties i wouldn't have dared come out because i felt like i wouldn't have been supported by the county council where i worked that's what stonewall do that's what diversity champions is about it's about making sure that no gay or lesbian person can be discriminated against in a airbnb or in a hotel and so the saddest thing is is to see that very small minority of of gay and lesbian and bi people trying to undermine the work that Stonewall are doing, it really is cutting off their nose spite their face, because the vast majority of the work that Stonewall does is for LGB people, you know, and it always has been since 1988. And, And so yes, now they do also advocate for trans people. But I think that's because we have the same concerns, you know, homelessness, poverty, health, you know, and every minute that Sternwall have to spend justifying their position on trans lives is a minute that they're not pushing the role out of PrEP or, you know, making sure that um, gay people can't be dismissed in their jobs, you know, and, and it's it's frustrating because, you know, homophobia is still a very real thing, not just in this country, but everywhere. I look at places like Poland and Hungary that's what Stonewall should be working on. They shouldn't be constantly having to justify their position on trans rates. It's a waste of their time when there is so much work to do.
1: Do you know? Oh, I angry. Sorry. No, and correct. Ooh. That's exactly what we want. Five people up, but that was that was brilliant. And I know you have to go. So we're just so grateful that you had time to be able to talk to us and just paint that. <laughs> That's I cool mean, thing. I'm going
0: for a roast dinner with some lesbians. Oh, that, that's, that, yeah. that's the work I'm doing. I'm doing some work with the gay community. I'm going to go have a roast dinner.
1: Love it. So, you. I do have a roast dinner. I yeah. might have a roast later, actually. <laughs> do it. Anyway, uh, have fun. Thank um, you. And uh, thank you so much. And just again, please do get a copy of Stay Another Day, uh, Juno's new brilliant book. And also follow her on Twitter at Juno Dawson. Uh, lots of love, Juno. Take care Love yourself. you too. Take care. Bye. Bye. Um, we're now very lucky to have a brilliant uh, journalist um, at the iPaper, uh, Jasmine Anderson, who's the equalities reporter uh, at the iPaper. How you doing, Jasmine? How you doing?
2: I'm good. How are you doing, Owen? Pleasure to be here. Pleasure. What's your accent from, by the way, just while we're talking about accents? I've got a whole accent with oh. a strange Scouse lilt, because my dad's Swedish, but speaks with a Scouse accent. It's very confusing. But you hear Love it in it. the Ur's.
1: <laughs> yeah, I generally, as again, discuss my plan. I like the fact we've got a Northern Mafia doing this today. But I, really? uh, I normally get because when I go home, people say I sound posh. But actually, I get if I'm inebriated or maybe emotional, the Northern accent comes back. She's only always ever swear comes in the back.
2: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <Only> swear- absolutely.
1: <laughs> um. So let's talk about, and I should say as well, uh, Jasmine is also the co founder of The Second Source, which is an alternative network for women and non binary journalists. You can look them up on The Second, as in 2nd, The Second Source on Twitter and support their work as well. Jasmine, let's just start with we just actually, Juno just mentioned there about, in terms of actually the, the history, the recent history of Stonewall, because it might be, it seems odd now or, or slightly bizarre. In a not in a good way, that Stonewall only became an LGBT charity in 2015. Before that, it was for LGBT people. Um, and that was something which obviously caused huge amounts of hurt and uh, uh, amongst many trans people. But in 2015, Ruth Hunt uh, became, uh, well, she made Stonewall trans-inclusive.
0: And... Mm-hmm. Um,
1: And was monstered, by the way. For those who don't aren't aware, a self-described butch lesbian um, who was vilified by people who claimed, who talk about women being silenced, and yet had no compunction whatsoever in just completely going for her. She spoke about her own experiences being challenged in women's toilets, as other butch lesbians have, because of the anti-trans moral panic as well. But just tell tell us about kind of how this Stonewall bashing began, because to be honest with you, Stonewall. Was seen for a long time as such a mainstream kind of almost too mainstream it was seen as kind of a bit you know a bit of a fluffy organization compared to other uh organizations um you know which was just if you support if you want to support lgbtq rights you need support stonewall and when it became acceptable more acceptable to support lgbtq rights that just became the done thing so what happened with what's happened with stonewall and the way he, this kind of campaign has developed
2: yeah it's really interesting how it's taken off in the last year specifically you know as you say you know and i remember when i was back at university and there were a lot of trans people in our lgbt society saying why Earth, isn't stonewall supporting us and that change in 2015 really was you know such a positive progression for the charity and now, of course, you know, it's we are from all different sides of the political spectrum now who support Stonewall. It's a cross party organisation. It always has been. Or if anything, it stands independent of those political lines, which, you know, is is a challenge for a lot of people. But all in all, it's been really interesting to see how it's gained such you know, fantastic respect and it's known, you know, inside and outside of the LGBT community as, you know, the most progressive, largest European uh, organisation of its kind. Um, But speaking to several uh, de-radicalised, gender-critical campaigners, and other people that have perhaps detransitioned and been swept up in the movement. I've come to learn kind of the sophisticated tools and measures that gender critical campaigners use to attack organizations like Stonewall. So since February, which was LGBT history month, I know we do have some variants of when that month falls in the UK. And there was quite a sophisticated social media campaign that started on Twitter that started to look at this idea of the diversity champion scheme being something that is not something that supports people and is, in fact, exerting undue influence. And with that, you know, with the right, right hashtags, a lot of Twitter storms being created and a lot of networking from these gender critical groups, we see people who are, if not gender critical themselves or heavily supportive of of the cause uh, in journalism reporting on this diversity champion's suspicion as verbatim and since february we've seen a stream of articles that have gone from here let's say here right to here increasing in hostility so there are some publications now that we expect to run quite anti-trans content but i think it's really taken a new level to see that our state broadcaster has now taken a story that started as an anti-trans campaign with what is still a fringe group and have reported on it and disseminated that to the largest audience for a media outlet in the UK. And that's kind of what we're dealing with here. And it's, it, you know, it's incredibly, incredibly concerning.
1: We'll talk about shortly the organising tactics, I suppose, of the so-called, the so-called gender criticals or the anti-trans rights movement mm. in this country. Let's just talk a bit about the diversity champion scheme because that's really what has come under attack. Ofcom, uh, one institution, which obviously abandoned uh, that scheme, and then the BBC also did. Um, and I mean, you can see some of the discourse and where this is where this is going. Ben Hunt, the brilliant um, LGBTQ, used to be at the BBC uh, reporter, now at Vice, reported on how it was said that the, B- the BBC couldn't be seen to be taking a, a view on, on LGBT lives. Um, and the way The Spectator, for example, recently spoke about it, and there are they, a, a piece written simply by using LGBT in its output and job titles, the BBC is taking sides in a contest of ideas. Now, apparently being pro or anti, you know, whether you support LGBT rights or not is an issue of impartiality uh, with one view which supports LGBT rights and the other doesn't. Who's to say who's right? Right. But what, tell us about that scheme and why it's coming under such attack, including from a BBC documentary with hammed up dramatic music to sort of lay on its point very, very thickly.
2: Yeah, completely. So with the Diversity Champions Scheme, as uh, Juno said, you know, this is a workplace initiative. This is a paid-for service that has been running since 2001 I remember, in fact, last week I was reading some of the pieces around it that were very celebratory from the same outlets that are denigrating the scheme today, saying how brilliant it was to have the Navy on board, to have Man City, to tackle homophobia, to tackle biphobia, lesbophobia, and of course, transphobia. And in recent times, it's been somewhat conflated that the scheme is in some way. Uh, To use the phrase I did previously use, exerting undue influence on companies to advance uh, LGBT rights. And the telling and worrying aspect for some of these people is part of that is advancing trans rights. Now, I find this very confusing because in no given way does any charity, LGBT or otherwise, not use their influence to lobby for effective and positive and progressive change. So what the BBC is trying to argue in this piece is that companies like Ofcom uh, or even Government Arms have uh, taken part in the scheme and they've been encouraged by Stonewall to change their working practices to benefit LGBT people so that they can move up in the Workplace Equality Index that they collect every year. And now this is just the top 500 employers for LGBT people. And when you think about the horrendous bullying and actual physical abuse that happens towards not just trans people, but the entire LGBT umbrella at work. And, you know, anecdotally, there's been jobs in where I've definitely not felt safe to be out. You know, the idea that that being there and then somehow being something to be disputed is is very confusing. So that's the kind of position we're in here. A workplace scheme that is voluntary, that has been, basically running unharmed for the last 20 years is now apparently a massive lobbying tactic that we have been sleeping on. And yeah, yeah it's, it's really, really confusing. Yeah.
1: So we'll talk a bit, a bit more about Stonewall, but there is a broader context, which I spoke about briefly with Juno, about other LGBT, specifically trans inclusive organizations, which have come under attack. Um, you know, it's a multi-pronged offensive, basically. Any organisation supporting trans people in this country is liable to face a very coordinated and intense attack. So you can talk a bit about that, including, for example, Mermaids, and explain what Mermaids is for those people who who aren't familiar with it.
2: Absolutely. So a couple of years ago, Merma- Mermaids, which is a charity that supports transgender young people, you've saw people just questioning their gender identity that are under 18. And uh, I remember when I actually first touched base with Mermaids, and uh, their comms director at the time said, Please, can you be very careful and make sure in your copy that you say, We are not converting uh, pe- young people to become trans. And I was very thrown by this, and I thought, Why does that need to be said? You know, I'm happy to include it. And they were like, Jazz, look on Twitter. And uh, looking through, I just, for the first time, really caught wind of this kind of vicious campaign and the vicious campaigning tactics that would be used by gender critical campaigners to disbar a charity like that and of course effectively defund it as well so with mermaids it had a year-long onslaught of uh, discrediting articles basically saying that it was you know pushing children to become trans in some way was getting them to even have surgery, which actually in the UK is not possible through the NHS, um, to have this gender affirming surgery. And then quite a few other like stern and sinister accusations that children were being coerced and pushed. Now, I find this incredibly rich considering the state of affairs for conversion therapy in the UK at the moment. We have been fighting for conversion therapy as a community to be eradicated for as long as I can remember. And you know that that did hit an a thousand day mark um, of March this year, a thousand days since the government had promised to outlaw conversion therapy. We're still waiting for the confirmation of the date when a consultation on outlawing conversion therapy is going to happen. But in that framework as well, we're looking at people who are actively coerced to renounce their gender identity or perhaps to renounce their sexuality through things like the church, through other organisations that are anti-LGBT, who are really taking advantage of very vulnerable young people who are in a precarious, precarious position. So when you kind of compare the two there, it really doesn't stack up.
1: So in terms of the... Let's just talk a little bit about um, the so-called gender-critical movement. Explain kind of if we can kind of explain who are they, basically, who are they, how big are they, how Mm. widespread uh, a movement are they? Um, Anyone who goes on Twitter now will often see they can get hashtags trending quite quickly on there, which generally revolve around pet projects of theirs all defending Um, their own when they feel their own have been targeted or whatever by supporters of trans rights. So who is the gender critical movement? Where do they kind of come from, as you see it? Uh, Mm. And how well organised and resourced are they?
2: Yeah, it's quite hard to map, actually, and it's something I've been working on for a long time. Because of the strength of their social media presence and their ability to campaign, it does feel like we're dealing with tens of thousands of people now. Um, but what I would also like to point out that is that this is a transatlantic effort. This is being bankrolled to a very large degree by US far-right groups, US uh, very extreme evangelical groups that are you know, significantly anti-abortion as well. And ironically, for what gender critics argue, are very determined to roll back the rights of women. Um, so with that, there's a lot of cross-organisation on uh, social media platforms, um, it might be in threads on certain blogging websites uh, that are well known, but I think I'll get into trouble if I mention them at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> there's a lot of uh, recruitment tactics within companies themselves. And I think because we've got quite a few prominently named people now, let's say ex-screenwriters, comedians, actors even, and of course people who are in highly influential positions who do have those contacts with certain members of the media to kind of further their ideas. It seems like their numbers are significantly more than they actually are. And while there's kind of a big question mark over the actual specifics here, we know that the people that are involved are incredibly dogged with determination. Sometimes I do wonder, you know, it's absolutely fine to not be in employment, full time employment, whatever you want to do. Work is not our of value. But I wonder if they do have any responsibilities at all uh, when there's such a belligerent group who can be online every single hour of the day, coordinating these social media attacks with these certain hashtags like I stand with Rosie Duffield, for example, or, you know, being very active on certain blogging websites. And I mean, by my own investigation, I've looked and some of these people are posting every three minutes from 6am right through to when they go to sleep at 2am. It's a real testament to the severity of this radicalisation process. And I don't think that's been discussed enough a lot of this is radicalization and we do not have the resources right now to combat that.
1: And, and it's a really interesting point, that, because you can see, can't you, often parallels, I always think, with the anti-vaxxer movement, which is often quite vulnerable people. People, by the way, and it must be said, who've often gone through traumas, uh, yeah. who go down online rabbit holes um, and just become obsessed. And, you know, they get a very conspiratorial mindset it's in the way the anti-vaxxers often focus on harm against children that's also obviously the rhetoric of the anti-trans movement and that is often conspiratorial movements do often talk about threats to children and so on that's that's, that's a long history of that but i mean it is interesting isn't it how it is you can see it as an online form of radicalization much like any other vulnerable people going down online rabbit holes And it basically becoming all-consuming. Because when you look at some of these anti-trans accounts, it's literally the only thing they talk about. The the world has gone through the biggest crisis since World War II. Millions have died of COVID-19. We have a climate crisis. We have several wars. Uh, We have a pandemic of male violence against girls and women. And the focus of these people is just all-consuming. It is completely obsessive. I mean, it is, mm. but it is, is I mean, that is, it's interesting, isn't it? How anti vaxxers obviously are seen as not respectable, but anti trans mm. people are seen as respectable when actually there's some similarities.
2: Yeah, completely. It's seen as a kind of valid middle class pursuit a lot of the time, I find. Mm. And it's really interesting to see how, because a lot of powerful people or key players within the media and in powerful positions now hold or at least, you know, to some degree support these views, that they are effectively legitimized. And I don't think it really takes into account the harm that's there. And of course, for any member of the LGBT community, it harkens back to so many harmful ideas that I don't know, sometimes I feel like are still just dormant. They're lying under the surface You know, even even, you know, just being bi, especially, you know, in a time where Hull was really changing. uh, You know, that that took me a really long time to get there, even with, you know, Section 28 probably clearing its way for me in 2003. You know, ultimately, I went to a Catholic school, you know, being queer was not discussed. And the idea now that, you know, we've made this progress and we've got here could all of a sudden be, you know, repealed through, a very small, really relatively small, but vulnerable, a composition of very vulnerable people who are taking on those ideas and then a section of very powerful people who I would say are exerting undue influence rather than stonewall, really taking that lead. It puts us in a very dangerous position. And, you know, part of me, and I I don't want to, you know, stare the pot and, you know, really like incense people unnecessarily Makes me wonder, did they ever want to protect my rights? Did they ever want to protect any of our rights, never mind transgender people's? You know, our fight is their fight. And we have to be united on that front.
1: On charities, so Stonewall is a registered charity and charities which are registered by the Charity Commission have to abide by certain guidelines. Now, those attacking Stonewall suggest that basically Stonewall has crossed those lines and isn't therefore should not be treated as, as a official charity. What, what's your response when you hear that narrative?
2: Mm, yeah, I find it very suspect. I don't know any given point where a charity is not lobbied to advance its values and its convictions. And, you know, the idea that in some way advancing LGBT rights is nefarious really doesn't sit well with me. And of course, you know, what we're looking at here is this this campaign is used to denigrate transgender rights specifically, but it's going to denigrate all of our rights in the process. So when I think about this and I think about, you know, headlines that people will read, like the BBC's this week, that basically implies, as Juno said, charity does what charity does, Mm -hmm. But if you're distanced from that this debate and if you're removed from those ideas and that's your first entry point, you're going to think, OK, Stonewall's doing something bad here. But if you're in a position where, you know, like me, you do report on work like Stonewall's quite regularly or you quite, are quite involved in third sector third sector rights and charities or work in a charity itself, you're going to be aware that <laughs> that's nothing that contravenes uh, the Charity Commission's guidelines whatsoever, However, when we look at an alternative uh, charity that has cropped up in recent months, which is the LGB Alliance, which had to go through a very uh, long and protracted review process by the Charity Commission, uh, which did get a lot of people up in arms inside and outside of the community. I wonder why that direction isn't being put there instead. Why are we not looking at this organisation and thinking... Okay, I would like to know more about why a charity that said lesbians are becoming extinct because of the existence of transgender people is able to continue unquestioned and instead we are directing our attention to a charity that is not doing anything outside of the parameters of the Charity Commission guidelines. That's what I'd start thinking about as a reporter.
1: So when... LGBTQ organisations, campaigners are being attacked. What's the kind of signs that basically an individual and organisation are being targeted, singled out by these groups?
2: Yeah, I think there's quite an interesting dog whistle rhetoric around it that uh, people need to be familiar with first off. So um, a lot of people will have heard, you know, the term adult human female used just in more general terms. Um, eh, In terms of, actual trans responses this sounds quite generic but i think one of the good ways to point this out is perhaps if you are reporting on trans issues it kind of becomes inevitable that you will be hit with a lot of trolling i've been doxxed i've had death threats for example for pointing out which i think is you know just chronic misinformation and likewise with people who perhaps take a stand on trans rights or organizations who've perhaps you know, have rolled out an advertising campaign like Starbucks once did in support of mermaids, and uh, will be hit with quite a number of tweets that might, you know, c- call them anything from child abusers. Uh, you know, basically centering around this idea that, um, you know, any any young child who is following their gender identity and living as them true their true self is actually, um, in some way harming themselves is in some way, you know, I can't really think of the word I'm looking for is actively harming their body, I guess. So there's signs like that there. Then there's things like they might be, as you have said, Owen, you've, you've faced this, you know, you might be a misogynist, you might be harming the rights of women, you might be called a homophobe, even if you are, you know, queer yourself. I'm not saying that internalised homophobia doesn't exist and it's not come out in several ways, but you can kind of see the invalid stream of arguments, especially on a social media platform like Twitter, where it's so easy to see in these replies. Um, sometimes it might be a case of um, a lot of these people have quite strong links to what they believe is the values of the suffragette movement, uh, which I would argue is, you know, exactly the opposite of those values. And uh, with that, they might be quite active. And as you say, um, very specifically, only be talking about trans rights. Or in fact, you might see a lot of bot accounts that have been set up to support these uh, social media campaigns, these Twitter storms, these tr- very much trending hashtags uh, that don't seem like actual valid or legitimate accounts. Um, but I know I'm coming from this as quite a you know anorak perspective here. And that really, if you're kind of an outsider to this, You're not necessarily going to be looking at those replies or maybe have the time in your day to kind of analyse the language that's used or maybe think about why in some way, you know, in this case, harming a whole LGBT society might mean something for the transgender community specifically and uh, evolve into, you know, the defunding of transgender services So I hope at some point I can put out a bit of a guide as to what this looks like just to kind of give people a bit more information. But obviously, I'm not the be all and end all of uh, the people that are are plotting this. And uh, there's some amazing community reporters out there that will be able to give you a really comprehensive rundown of those signs, which I'll direct to on my on my Twitter page after after we have this chat.
1: We'd expect maybe, the right-wing media to go for Stonewall, but the BBC, which is obviously the public broadcaster and funded by the licence payer, has now joined in this attack, obviously cancelling their involvement with the Diversity Champion Scheme, Uh, a documentary which, as I've said, just just a hammed-up sinister music, kind of speaks volumes about the entire approach of that so-called documentary. But why is it significant? What's the significance of the BBC being involved in all of this for LGBTQ people generally and trans people specifically?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, As we know, this is our state broadcaster. This has the biggest audience of any uh, publication in the UK. And the fact is, you know, this is not the first time um, the BBC has run uh, criticised articles, articles criticised by the Transmedia Watch for using kind of dog whistle language or implying in some way that, uh, you know, transgender children, for example, on a news night segment are being given surgery um, under the age of 18. Uh, We've seen that happening since 2017, according to their research. Um, But for the most part as well, there have actually been a lot of really amazing pieces of work from the BBC pressing on, you know, one of the most pervasive facts of life for transgender communities in the UK at the moment, which is health inequality and, you know, how long it is, uh, you know, for a trans youth or a trans adult even um, to receive any kind of gender treatment or speak to a gender clinician through the NHS in this country and how even, you know, the private arms are actually, you know, seeing an overwhelming swell of young people being directed towards them. Um, Even though, of course, we know that that's not an accessible route for everyone. That's something that requires a heck of a lot of money and, you know, support from your parent or guardian in that respect. And so, yeah, the BBC has done a lot of work there before. And, you know, of course, the work um, of Ben Hunt uh, really touched on this as well. And so with this piece, um, with it being not just one news piece, but a podcast series, This really legitimises this Stonewall Diversity Champions uh, ideology. Oh, ideology is not the right word here, but, you know, that genesis of this idea that was born out of a gender critical campaign to discredit Stonewall has now been taken up, no holds barred, by such a large organisation and for me personally, as a journalist, you know, I don't always get it right. You know, I, <laughs> I'm i thinking of some of the typos in my reporting in recent months for sure. But the idea that I would never, I'd like to think that I would never cling on to such a like, you know, clear piece of misinformation if you do your research and, you know, build it into something that, requires such a fast amount of resource money, you know, that would not have been a quick uh, piece of media to put together. And that makes me wonder, where are these resources being pulled from? You know, where could that of reporting been directed to that could actually benefit the community and, you know, benefit the kind of marginalisation, you know, combating the marginalisation and issues that the transgender community, which are the most vulnerable community in the UK now, are facing. That's what really sticks with me here. And that's what makes me think, how are we saying that this is a nonpartisan issue? You know, like this, you know, transgender rights are a nonpartisan issue. You know, this is a human rights issue. Yeah. So that should be their case in point. But the idea that the harm of transgender people, sinister kind of, you know, approaches uh, to, you know, supporting the transgender community are a nonpartisan issue. That's what's alarming.
1: Just just to, because it, it obviously comes up with the comments, just two of the talking points against Stonewall and LGBTQ movements generally. But one is that Stonewall are agitating to change the law in ways which threaten women, and they're seeking to erase women. And the other is that they are, and you've already part. You've kind of addressed this partly, but it's obviously the focus on children, confused mm. and troubled children who are being uh, encouraged down routes where they will have life-changing surgery and so on, um, and uh, and then regret it later in life kind of thing. Uh, we, what would what, you just take on those two specific talking points, which are being basically focused upon Uh, particularly in the attack on Stonewall and other movements?
2: Yeah, to start off with that point about women, um, I I do find this incredibly interesting Mm -hmm. because I don't know if this is just a value point or hopefully something that everyone shares, but I would never think that the advancement of a certain community's rights are ever going to affect mine. We can all coexist in that advancement and, you know, hopefully the, you know, rising, you know, steps towards uh, achieving inequality for the community, you know, that in no way is going to affect... I don't see how that would ever affect uh, women. You know, some of the arguments that are put forward, especially this, you know, time-old toilet argument, is that, you know, um, tra- trans trans women will uh, enter, enter women's toilets and abuse and attack women uh, under guise. Uh, which you know I do find very offensive, and you know the grinding reality of this is, you know, uh, men attackers, rapers, sexually assaulters, wherever they want, any given time of the day. We've only have to tap into the the news cycle at the moment and the the tragic case of Sabina Nessa and Sarah Everard and the thousands of women that haven't been reported on, and uh, the power that is used already by cis men to attackers and discreditors and I understand uh, this idea that we, of course, would never want to put ourselves in a position where we are, you know, being even more attacked or violated than we already are as women. But I don't see how in any way that would give people license. You know, it's there's just not the statistics to back this up either, which is, you know, very interesting indeed. And then, of course, there is this argument that we like the transgender community somehow existing and uh, being advanced raises butch women and you know some of the reporting that i've touched on uh speaking to butch women who have been affected by this said all that happens is the streams of thought actually affect them and ha- actively harm them you know there's people who've been chased punched kicked hit um for using a woman's toilet when they do identify as a woman um, because they are considered to be too masculine in their appearance. And, you know, that that is a real crying shame here. And, you know, as well as that, then there's just this general kind of idea that there's a lot of undue influence on, um, you know, trans women. But then through this, there's also a lot of ignorance of uh, the difficulties that are affecting trans men as well. And there's this kind of very strange idea that trans men are somehow being so heavily traumatised and so bullied um, when they, you know, when they were AFAB that um, when they do transition, they somehow lost themselves and they should be pitied, which, yet again, is just such a corrosive idea. And, uh, yeah, just just circling back to the other point as well with... uh, you know, with with other groups that are somehow being marginalized. Um I think it just centers around this one basic point, you know, I'm genderqueer, but I'm not trans. Um I do I do consider that to be different. My expression expression of gender is different, but ultimately, you know, I do not see how I could ever, you know, understand or overreach and abuse someone's right to say they are who they are and to live truly fully and happily as themselves not when transgender suicide statistics are as saddening as they are not when i'm speaking to transgender children that are so actively harmed because they're not being allowed to live as their true selves and i think and i'd really like these communities to have some honest proper conversations with these people that are affected you know, when we're looking at vulnerable trans children and the conversations that I've had with those families that are just absolutely heartbreaking, I don't know how no one could not, not use their like common sense and empathy to understand how difficult it is and why, so importantly, we need trans liberation now. We need to be su- supporting these groups, not pitting ourselves against each other.
1: And that point, I mean, you already partly addressed it about young trans people which is the reality is so at odds with the narrative presented which is basically trans people are having these young tra- children are basically having this life-changing surgery mm. uh and um, prematurely etc etc and actually the truth is obviously children don't get uh, the, the puberty blockers which are permanent but mm. actually in practice they only get gender affirming healthcare as adults having been stuck for years on waiting mm. list the real problem isn't this premature shoving of vulnerable people before they can understand who they really are down a certain route it's the opposite is they don't get the health care mm. they need often for years with with um very traumatic consequences just a few other mm. quick things because we've 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 obviously had you we're very honored to have had you for for so long just interested about I mean, I do find the cry-bullying of the anti-trans movement fascinating because they try and portray themselves as though they're a marginalised, besieged group when they have almost the entire British media on their side. Um, and yet they still portray themselves as somehow they're up against... You know, it's like David versus Goliath and they're David when they're not the Goliath. But what happens to... Because actually, in, if you look at the... We talked about this a lot on the show in the US it's it's far more mainstream for whether people regard themselves as centrists or liberals or on the left to support trans rights in a way it isn't here. And a lot of so-called, you'll see them on Twitter, so-called moderates were often the most zealous when it comes to being opposed to trans rights. So what happens to those reporters? I've got my own experiences there, which, are just, <laughs> uh, not, which I can't always be, I'm afraid, to people very open honest about, but I think history will... Set the record straight at some point. But what happens to reporters and publications who do stick their heads above the parapet and maybe some examples of that?
2: Oof. <laughs> Where do I begin? Uh, so, yeah, one of my uh, first full time jobs was at Pink News as an investigations reporter. And um, I'm sure that they won't mind me saying that, you know, the police were regularly involved because of the number of threats that we received for basically reporting on transgender issues. I think um, when I joined Pink News, I was maybe about 23, you know, still young, still a new chip off the block, I'd like to think. And um, the amount of people that would think because I'd reported accurately and delved through the misinformation, and this is it here, you know, I think a lot of people go, okay, well, how could you see the wood through the trees if you do uh, support trans rights? And yet again, I call back to it being a non-partisan issue. It's a human rights issue. And it being one of the most misinformed yet heavily reported areas of journalism in the UK, if not the most. And, um, just by simply putting that reporting out, people would question what gender I was. They tried to pick apart my writing. They'd mock me for my pronouns, you know. So you've kind of got that low level, you know. You've got people attacking you, you know, finding you on Instagram, you know. One time someone actually posted on a picture that I put of me and my family and threatened to kill me and them. And that was absolutely harrowing, you know. That That is just something that no one should go through but you know i I do consider myself to be cis uh you know i'm in a position where i am writing for a national newspaper i have far more of a voice than you know most community members or you know working class background people as well and i'm there going okay if i feel like this like how are you going to feel if you're trans how are you going to feel if you don't have that platform and, you know, I've I've spoken to people um, at other reporting outlets and I'm sure they won't mind me saying places like Open Democracy that have also faced this issue as well. And uh, I've had quite high profile campaigners who I can't name because I think what's really important to note here is that sometimes you do report on these issues. And of course, you have to be accurate. That's paramount. But even if you are fully accurate, there will be legal threats. There will be pounding there will be thousands of letters sent through addressing you addressing your credibility trying to undermine you because you dared report on a trans issue in an unbiased way and I think that is going to put off a lot of people who are trying to stick their heads above the parapet and say okay I'm interested in getting involved in this and kind of wading through here and finding out what is the reality for trans people in the UK and finding out why these tropes are existing when they can can be so clearly picked apart. And then you hear the rife amount of bullying, the legal threats that are there. And, you know, I think that would put a lot of editors off who are maybe on the fence about covering it, or who are maybe not part of the community, or have maybe never even really had an LGBT friend in their life. And they don't really understand how important this is right now. And it's quite a lot easier to look at heritage publications that have an insane amount of influence repeatedly reporting the same misinformation the same bias pieces under the guise of nonpartisan journalism and say well they're saying that why are you one person compared to 25 people thinking any differently and you you kind of have to factor that in as well and I think it's also worth mentioning that the effects of this are clear. You know, Transmedia Watch's most recent report said one out of 20 pieces written about a trans person are Mm -hmm. positive. So that's one in 20. And I even think, you know, discussing it with them, that's quite a conservative estimate. You know, I think think it's way worse now.
1: Just finally, in terms of the government's role in this, and for example, Liz Truss, whose brief it is, um, I and mean, it's interesting, I'm not a Theresa May defender, I should probably make that clear. And actually, when it comes to LGBTQ rights, it shouldn't be forgotten that uh, when she was home secretary, um refugee LGBTQ refugees, for example, were told to video themselves having sex to prove they were actually LGBTQ to avoid being deported to uh, homophobic in law countries. But it But it is worth pointing out that she did support reforming the Gender Recognition Act in line with, for example, what has existed in Ireland for many years and other countries without problems, by the way. Uh, So all the dystopian fantasies of the anti-trans crew have not been vindicated by the actual facts on the ground in those countries. But since her departure, there has been a shift, hasn't there? There's been quite a striking shift. Uh, and actually another minister who was supportive of trans rights, Penny Morden, um, has been shuffled away as well. So just tell us about that, Liz Tross, the Government Equalities Office, and, and and what's going on with them and the the whole approach on
2: this. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> so um earlier on this year, um free LGBT, well, three members of the LGBT Advisory Board, so this is a board set up to support the Government Equalities Office with its LGBT legislation, resigned saying that Liz Truss and Kemi Badenoch were ministers for inequality and they really picked apart their uh, support of trans issues and in particular they said they didn't support the reform of the Gender Recognition Act, which was, after several years of campaigning, put on ICE uh, by Liz Trust, and instead the cost of getting a Gender Recognition Act, uh, basically legal recognition of your gender, the cost of uh, that application was cut to £10, I believe. It might be 5 I need to check that. Uh, So while the cost was there, the very kind of invasive measures in that are still very much there. So that's stuff like having a medical board assess whether or not you are living in your true gender, um, if you've lived in your uh, gender uh, two years or more, um, and other aspects of your identity that are prodded and perks and really are an incredibly personal issue. Um, so you've kind of got that aspect of things and, you know, that, that really um, startled me that free, free members, you know, really, really, um, supportive, uh, you know, really prominent kind of activists within, within the LGBT community in the UK felt that they had to, they had to leave. And then on top of that, in recent times, uh, Vice World News reported on Kemi Badnock, who's another minister for equality, um, in the office, uh, basically, um, calling, uh, it was either trans women, men or trans, trans men, women. Um, and basically with that, and um, these leaked recordings to Vice uh, said a lot, a lot about the alarming kind of state of play there, which, uh, you know, made me wonder, you know, is the, is this the office that we need in charge when we have things like conversion therapy still rolling on when we've actually had uh, the, the Women's Select Committee um, and the Equality Select Committee uh, take an issue with Kemi Badenoch not responding to requests for meetings of uh, progressing some of these policies, not necessarily the GRA, but things like outlawing conversion therapy, which, as I've said earlier, was meant to happen a long time ago. Uh, so Mike Freer is now joined. So it's going to be uh, three people that are in charge of that brief. But of course, it is a part-time brief, and even though, to his credit, Mike Freer does have a strong record when it comes to LGBT rights, as opposed to Truss and Badenoch, I wonder what it's going to be like when it's a bit of a two against one situation. I don't, I don't feel very hopeful at the moment, and I would like to see um, some more transparency. Over Liz Truss's and Kemi Badenoch's actions and as well Liz Truss to clarify a few of the comments she's made about for example the diversity champion scheme and um, Stonewall's diversity champion scheme and you know the idea that the government should pull and withdraw from that scheme which is just basically all about optics and that's not the reason why we should be doing these things.
1: Jasmine, we've been so lucky to have you and to draw on your expertise. We've gone through a lot of issues, and I think people will be very educated, um, however much they've heard about this issue before or not. Um, you've given such a such a broad understanding of what what's actually happening, the reality compared to how this is reported, and that is important because. Um, Those of us who support trans rights in the British media are in in, in any vocal way in a very, very small uh, minority. And the full weight of the British media is being used against one of the most marginalised minorities, as you point out, in the country. Um, It's a very grim time for trans people. And for those of us who, who speak to trans people privately about how they feel, many simply say they're looking to leave the country because it's become Mm. such a hostile environment for them. And that itself is, is beyond horrifying. Um, Mm. but people like yourself with your, with your brilliant reporting are, are lights in a dark time. So we're very lucky to, to have had you as well as Juno to, to just go through and give a little masterclass on exactly what's happening. So thank you so, so much.
2: Thank you. Absolute pleasure to be here. And, you know, I hope that I am one of many. Uh, whether or not they are openly um, reporting right now or they're going to be reporting in the future that, you know, are there and are in support and just need the headspace and trust from the upper echelons of the media to carry out the work that's so desperately needed. So thank you for having me.
1: It's an absolute pleasure. And do follow uh, Jasmine on Twitter and the Twitter handle, which I have here, is, of course, at... So it's the underscore Chez, C-H-E-Z, uh, so do you
2: terrible nickname from school Love it.
1: the, the chess I, Ches. I mean I just, I just had oj jonesy the juice sometimes oh the Got juice is
2: good bring it back
1: <laughs> slightly ruined because oj simpson was also called that so that's solid yeah it's um true. uh but and, and a pleasure to have a fellow northern on as well but thank you so much and do follow as i've said jasmine's brilliant work at the ipaper um it's so important for all lgbtq people so thank you so much and lots of love
2: Thank you. Take
1: care. Pleasure to Take speak. Uh, both really brilliant guests. We're so lucky to have had them and to go through that in detail. Just quickly, I'll just do a little sum up, but just to go through some of the comments that have been uh, left and to thank you for your support as well uh, from Alexander Barnes about the ableism of attacks on LGBTQ people since many autistics and other um, uh Identifies LGBTQ2, uh, referring to the Tavistock Clinic case. So that's the, the gender identity clinic where there was a ruling against originally uh, that clinic in terms of being able to provide gender affirming healthcare for young trans people. But that, that was won back on appeal, thankfully. And it actually tried to override the Gillick principle, which is important as well as in abortion, which is to allow, for example, um, competence of adolescent girls, for example, to be able to have an abortion without parental consent. And that was, you know, that was threatened. It actually shows how the, the onslaught against trans people, uh, threatens cis women as well, because an attack on the Gillick principle when it came to gender identity could then be expanded to abortion as well. Um, but you're absolutely right. Of course, many autistic, uh, people who, uh, of the consequences of that. David Barwatter, solidarity with our community has always been our greatest strength, so how can we use that strength to support Stonewall and help each other, and how do we protect each other when Labour won't? I think that is a very, I mean, it's a very important point at the moment because, I mean, it is really important that we do focus, of course, on um, trans people who are by far the most oppressed members of the LGBTQ rainbow. Um, I mean, it's intersectional, of course, because you know, I'm a white, middle-class, cis, gay guy and my experience compared to a working-class, black, lesbian is very different. So I don't want to just generalise, but trans people overall are suffering the brunt of this vicious campaign at the moment. Um, And it is important that we stand together because our rights and freedoms were won together. They weren't won apart. It wasn't like there was a separate gay movement and lesbian movement and trans movement that just ignored each other and did their own thing. We fought including at the Stonewall riot, which gave Stonewall its name. We fought together back then against the police when they were brutalizing LGBTQ people. And we have always fought together. And this attempt to try and divide our community by people who are stray and opposed to the advancement of LGBTQ people has to be fought and resisted. An injury to one is an injury to us all. That's the literal basis of solidarity, so it is very important we do that. Now, in terms of labour, you're absolutely right. Labour, well, labour generally as an opposition has essentially collapsed. Um, but what was heartening, and it is important, given how critical I am of the current so-called labour leadership, um, to give them credit where it's due. And the, where I'm, I am going to give them credit um, is Taiwo um, Awatami, who is the who is now the shadow minister for women and equalities, wrote a brilliant letter. Uh, which really just hammered the LGB alliance for who they are, which is not a movement which exists to champion the rights of LGB people, but rather to attack uh, the rights of trans people. Um, So we need to encourage them when they do that, because they have not been a shield for trans people. Um, And there's a big institutional problem of transphobia. Now, I'm going to be actually in this week talking to Nadia Whittam, the Labour MP, who did a call out on social media for the experience of trans members of the Labour Party. We've already had several trans members leaving the Labour Party because of the institutional transphobia of that party. Um, And we had, for example, um, the chair of Young Labour who faced disciplinary measures because she called out transphobia on Twitter and then they apologised or whatever. But, you know, we have a a Labour MP, Rosie Duffield, who likes rampantly anti-trans tweets and went on national radio to attack bisexual men and suggest their um, identities weren't valid and no action has been taken against that Labour MP. So, you know, there's a whole range of things that we need to talk about within Labour, but it is certainly that the Shallow Minister of Women and Equalities actually did speak out um, in support of trans people is something to be welcomed and should be nurtured. And there are lots of Labour MPs uh, like Angela Rayner, for example, like Nadia Whittem, who I've mentioned, like Dawn Butler, who have been at the forefront. And, And I say it's really important to make that point because the whole narrative is that this is about women's voices being silenced. But the polling consistently shows all the polling, every single poll, every single survey here and in the United States shows by far the most supportive of trans rights are women, far more supportive. Than men. So, for example, it gets to the ludicrous point where in the British so- Social Attitude Survey, about three quarters of women say they are comfortable with trans women using their toilets. And yet, with men, it was about 63% supporting trans men using their toilets. And men, according to the polling, are far more opposed to trans women using their correct spaces, women's spaces, than women are. So, this is quite interesting because I mentioned that about Labour because unsurprisingly, the most vocal champions of trans rights within the Labour Party are women. Overwhelmingly so. And they're then monstered, you know, often called handmaidens, which is really odd because it's from Margaret Atwood's novel. And I'm not sure they've actually understood what handmaidens are because they're coerced and oppressed uh, women. They're not perpetrators. Um, and um, Margaret Atwood, has, so they keep calling them handmaidens. Then Margaret Atwood came out and supported trans rights and they denounced her as a handmaiden as well. You literally cannot make it up. Um, but it's very important to make that point that there are people speaking out and that is good. But then again, Labour is a massive bin fire at the moment and generally it's not been good. M Arza says, thank you so much for talking about this. They face a four and a half year waiting list uh, for a gender identity certificate in North Northern Ireland And the gender critical media storm has been exhausting. It really is so important to make this point because this whole narrative, I really think lots of people in this country genuinely believe that there are like 12 year olds having surgery. It's like just, you've got to, you've got to wake up to reality. That isn't happening. And the truth is that only adults, for example, get gender affirming surgery, having to wait for years, literally years. And then you get the worst of all worlds because trans people either portrayed as, you know, kind of like, well, you know, um, they're not passing enough as their certain identity. And then it's like, well, they're being rushed into it. It's like you you can't literally they cannot win trans people in this country. But the truth is gender affirming healthcare is simply not available for huge periods of people's lives. People are stuck. Life is not long. It's quite short. You realize this as you get older. And being stuck for large parts of your life, being unable to be affirmed and happy and comfortable as you feel yourself to be, is something which takes a huge mental toll. So I think that's very important to talk about. Uh, Trish Fowley, thanks for your support. Ricardo, thanks for your support. Um, uh, Tad's camp, well, maybe I'm too critical, but the Gender Recognition Act in Ireland happened after the same-sex marriage constitutional vote. It had been... Um, Strongly blocked, systemic issues still exist, I'm told. Yet, of course, you know, transphobia in Ireland and elsewhere is a huge problem. What is striking, though, is Ireland, which actually only decriminalised homosexuality in 1993, incidentally, has jumped beyond us. I mean, it's interesting, Spain's another example. Spain was under a far-right dictatorship till 1975, and yet actually is now one of the most supportive countries of lgbtq rights in the world far more so than say france which is a revolutionary society so that's very embarrassing for it frankly and it's been a democracy a lot longer than spain has um but yeah i mean what is striking about ireland is that gender recognition act has happened and it hasn't it hasn't been the disaster uh, that they said it would be uh thank you to uh to claire attacking trans rights attacking the human rights act they seem to miss that uh, thank you to Benice Roust. Uh, thank you to uh, Stephen Calder. Uh, thanks for all you're doing to defend our rights for all LGBTQ people. I never thought we'd have to refight this battle. I thought we'd won long ago. Yeah, I mean, on this, um, and it, by the way, I don't deserve a cookie. I mean, this is the other thing is, you know, just, I think, uh, just being the, you know, the baseline for being a decent human being is not something you should be rewarded for, in my opinion. And, you know, I proudly support trans rights because, I believe in LGBTQ rights as an LGBTQ person, um but I also believe in liberation and equality for all. You know, one of the reasons I talk, I try to use my platform as best I can to support groups and minorities who are marginalised and face oppression. I'm very proud, for example, to take a stance against Islamophobia. A lot of the work I've done has been about how Muslims are demonised and attacked by the British media. Um, with the consequent rise in hate crimes and the terrible discrimination that is legitimized that Muslims face in this country, you know, and, and that's why we should always have this unconditional solidarity and support for minorities that face oppression. And it shouldn't be courageous to speak out. But unfortunately, it has become such. And it is a disgrace that I'm one of the only commentators. And this is not me giving you a, a, a giving myself a cookie. This is a damning indictment of the media landscape rather than praise for myself. That is a damning indictment of the entire ecosystem that I'm one of the only commentators who speaks out, who works for a newspaper, in support, unapologetically, of trans rights. There are others. I think of Zoe Williams, my brilliant colleague at The Guardian newspaper, who has consistently done that. But we are a very, very, very small minority. And it's interesting how it's almost become, in Britain compared to the US, seen as almost extreme and radical to support trans rights. And, you know... The fact that we're having to refight battles, because the way that trans people are portrayed is the same as gay people were portrayed and are still often portrayed, but particularly viciously so in the 80s and 90s in the British media. As I've said, predators, sexual predators, brainwashing children. They used to say about gay people, they can't reproduce, so they have to recruit defying the laws of biology of course with gay people it was god made adam and eve he didn't make adam and steve you know that we are basically our biological limits uh are innate and should be respected i mean there was a piece last week suggesting uh that actually you know one of the problems with trans rights is it doesn't accept you know is is trying to use medicine to expand the limits of the human body i mean that is literally the basis of medicine the, the basis of medicine is to accept there are biological limits which needs to be superseded in order for us to have happy, healthy lives. That's why we have, that's why I wear glasses or contact lenses, as I'm currently doing, because of my own vanity. Uh, that's why people have surgery. Right? That's why people take medicine and, and go through treatment when they suffer cancer and other illnesses. And um, the fact, you know, Well, other talking points, as I've said, this idea that actually, you know, homosexuality used to be classed as a mental illness by the World Health Organization until the early 90s, incidentally. Um, And that's how trans rights has been, trans people are being pathologized as well today. The idea it's a fetish, again, always used to be, you know, traditional attack on gay people. But why should the majority have to redefine themselves for the minority? They used to say about gay rights, they've got more rights than we do these days. Again, similar thing is happening when the reality facing trans people in Britain is brutal, really brutal, hard. I don't think any of us, I mean, for me as a gay person, I wouldn't hold hands in the streets with a partner for fear of violence and abuse. But, you know, a public display of affection is something you can get through life without that having a big impact on your existence. For trans people, it's often a fear of leaving, like literally the idea of opening your front door. And what horrors are going to face you that day on the streets? Who's going to shout abuse at you? Who's going to yell at you? Is someone going to threaten to beat you up? Is someone going to beat you up or attack you physically? As so many trans people have suffered in this country. Are you going to get vilified at work? What are your colleagues going to say about you? What are they saying about you behind your back? Are you going to face abuse or attack from your customers? As so many trans people face in this country. You know, are you going to get bullied in education, at school, for example, because of your gender identity? Um, are you gonna be rejected by your family? What are your mum and dad gonna say? Are they gonna support you? Um, whether it be, you know, as I've said, being stuck on healthcare waiting lists for years. Are you gonna constantly just, every time you hear, you know, you listen to the radio or read a newspaper, trans people only being spoken about in negative ways. What toll did it take on a human being to be part of a minority that is only discussed as though you are just a walking threat, uh, a sexual predator? Um, and someone who is preying on children uh, reduced to, as the trans writer, Juliet once put it, walking rapes. That's how trans people are discussed in this country. And there are those who say, oh, we're not transphobic. We've just got these legitimate concerns. How can they not think to themselves, especially those who see themselves as liberals and progressives, how can they not think about the impact of only talking about trans people in the context of sexual violence and of being a threat to children. Do they not think to themselves, hang on a minute, if I keep using these talking points over and over again, a lot of people are just going to think of trans people generally as would-be sexual predators who are dangers to children. And when you have that narrative, that is when people act on that abuse in ways which threaten the very safety of trans people. There is no getting away from that. And the fact is, you know, Trans people, as I've said, are pretty much at the bottom of the heap in this country. I think maybe you could talk about Roma, travellers, gypsies in this country, uh, also being at the bottom of the rung. It's not, obviously, uh, Oppression Olympics. But trans people are pretty much as marginalised as possible. We don't have any trans openly members of parliament. We have almost no trans people working as newspaper columnists, for example, for national newspapers. Where they exist, they're freelancers who are often themselves vilified and attacked throughout much of the British media. It is a horrible, horrible moment, particularly for trans people. And more broadly, this is ricocheting onto LGBTQ people more generally. Of course, it was always gonna be that. I mean, my whole timeline is full of people and they love it, they love it. Being able to go again, oh, Owen Jones is a threat to children because of my support for trans rights. Relitigating the, the oldest defamatory narrative against gay men that they we are we are threats to children. Uh, And you need to keep us away from kids, which is what fueled, for example, the attempt to ban gay teachers in California um, in the 1970s. So we have to have these conversations because out there in our communities, people are getting hurt and abused. A threefold increase in homophobic hate crimes. Statistically, I happen to be one of them. There's still someone in prison having beat me up in homophobic assault on my birthday. But for trans people, it's even worse, a fourfold increase. And the latest statistics show an increase further still. We have to be able to talk about this. And there are those who say, well, this is the left going into identity politics, won't talk about, you know, what this just shows how they're divorced from the working class. Right. For a start, working class people are diverse. They're working class people, believe it or not, who are LGBTQ. That's right. Go to Canal Street in Manchester for a night and then come out telling people that LGBTQ issues is just some middle class affectation because it isn't. And you're divorced from reality if you think it is. But working class trans people are those who suffer, of course, the worst consequences. And there are lots of working class people who support the rights of LGBTQ people, including trans people. But I have to say, this argument was used in the 1980s. Uh, you know, uh, Patricia Hewitt. Uh, who was uh, the uh, comms manager of Neil Kinnock, the then Labour leader, she wrote a letter saying that the gay and lesbian issue was killing Labour on the doorstep because it was repelling the elderly vote. Who looks back at history and goes, yeah, well, Labour shouldn't have talked about gay rights because actually, you know, they've got to win over those older voters. I mean, it's just obviously a narrative which is regarded as outrageous now. And everyone wants to think they were on the right side of the gay rights struggle, even though in the 80s, social attitudes towards gay people were catastrophic. Now, just finally, for trans people out there, as someone who works in the media industry, I'm beyond sorry. I'm beyond sorry. It is, you know, much of the media exists to bully and harass minorities. They're not people. They often think to themselves, a lot of these journalists, we're speaking truth to power. What a noble, fearless profession we are, as many of them, write their grubby copy, vilifying people who don't have a voice, and then earning their pay that way. What a horrible, tawdry existence to have, to spend your time with your poison pen, dripping venom on some of the most marginalized and despised minorities in the country. How those people look at themselves in the mirror is not something I will ever understand. But of course, it is a systemic issue within the British media, and that has to be addressed. But, you know, we do all have a responsibility to speak out, not just L- not just LGBTQ people, but people more broadly. And, you know, they hate it when we say this, but we are on the right side of history and history will damn these people as it damns anti-gay people. Um, and trans people will win their rights and freedoms. Little consolation right now in the middle of the anti-trans royal panic, but trans people are going to win. And actually part of this backlash, again, little comfort, is partly because their enemies know that. They know they're going to lose. They know how this is going to end. Um, and the issue is how much pain and suffering can they inflict uh, on the road there. They know, looking at the generations, younger people are far more likely to support trans rights than older people. They know that. They know, they know what the figures show. They have these conversations with their children who regard them as often bigoted dinosaurs. They know all that. And that scares them. And part of this is actually they're scared... Of the fact that their children are going to win uh, in their support, whether it be for anti racism, dealing with the climate emergency, or support for trans people. Um, but that doesn't mean we just sit back and wait for history to do its thing. History is not something that just happens of its own accord. We have to fight for these things and we have to fight together. So thank you so much for the guests today. Uh, we really, honestly, the voices we have are brilliant. Um, as ever, uh, press like on the YouTube to encourage others to watch this because the vast majority watch afterwards. Um, and also on our podcast, do subscribe. Uh, support us, particularly with our documentaries. We've got so many documentaries. We'll have a documentary up hopefully yeah by the end of the month, finally, um, on uh, wealth and power. a uh, Tory conference video has been a huge success on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. Um, but we'll do far more of these documentaries. And if you support us on patreon.com, just even it be a, uh, a th- you know, three quid a month or whatever, that supports our workers, our team who are on union wages. Oh, a final special thanks to S. Cohen, £50 uh, support. Grateful to have allies like you in the media. That's very sweet of you, and uh, but you shouldn't have to thank me because, as I said, it should, it should be something which anyone who believes in human decency and equality should commit to. Uh, but we'll do far more content, as I've said, including with Nadia Whitton next week, who has uh, done this project to t- support, to talk to young, sorry, so trans members of the Labour Party and their experiences. So we'll have a we'll have an interview with her to talk about that. Um, and we'll do, we're going to look at a documentary on this as well, which I'll talk about soon. Um, someone's asking, did I go to Canal Street to detox fast at Toy Conference? I did actually, Trish. I went out on a Monday. I used to work on Canal Street as a barman, funny enough. Um, which is the gay village in Manchester. Um, It was great to be back in Manchester, Um, uh, my old beautiful city, an LGBTQ heartland, of course. I would call it the LGBTQ capital of Britain. I'm sure that's going to annoy everyone in Brighton. Um, But uh, yeah, that was a toy conference. But that video, I thought, I hope at least... I think we did a very fair job, but I think it was a very revealing insight into Tory mentality. Um, but you all made that possible. So thank you so much uh, for your support. Right. I will leave it there. We've got loads of interviews next week. As I said, Nadia Whittam, John McDonnell, uh, obviously uh, Labour MP. Uh, we've got interviews coming up soon with May Martin, uh, speak- a non-binary uh, comedian. Brilliant. Uh, just a brilliant comedian. Uh, hopefully see Nish Kumar, who is again, another brilliant comedian. Um, and we have, uh, just loads of videos coming up. So I will see you next Sunday live at 12 o'clock. But other than that, just to say, love you all. Thanks for supporting us and I will see you soon. Take care.
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found that informative, educational, uh, interesting, and I certainly did. Uh, Do support us on Patreon to keep the show on the road, uh, forward slash Jones 84 Leave us some stars, that'd be nice. Spread the word. And I look forward to speaking to you soon.